Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning again. I'm Nick and I still work here. So um, I just need to make sure that I'm... It's a bit tricky... Anyway, I've got some notes that I want you to track with today, but um, if you can't see them because I'm standing in the way, never mind. Hey, look, I want you to just close your eyes, uh, if you want to, it's an invitation, and um, I'm going to read some scripture. I want you to just become aware of how you're feeling, even become aware of your sense of physical safety. How do you feel? Elijah was a man who felt, at one point, very down, very tired, very lonely, very overwhelmed. And the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Just imagine the scene. Elijah, there on the mountain, waiting for God to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a still, small voice, the sound of sheer silence. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. For him. Jesus says to you, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Unclutter my heart, O God, until I am quiet enough to hear you speak out of the silence. Help me in these few moments to stop, to listen, to wait, to be still, and to allow your presence to envelop me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can come back now. Does anyone feel slightly different, a little bit different than before we went into that? What, what shifted? What changed? Peace? Just settled? Slow down? That's good, because that was pretty much just all the Bible I read with a bit of silence. Um, Silence is a really important part of spiritual life and contemplation, and that might be more natural for you than, than for others, but sometimes in the Christian world we can, we can kind of classify ourselves too tightly. And I remember a couple of years ago in a church, it's good once you've been to a few churches, you can use stories from people in previous churches, but just know one day if the Lord calls me to another church, I won't use any stories from this church. <laughs> I just want you to know that. But this was a dear couple, and... Um, they were stalwart kind of people, just great, reliable, stalwart, always there, church working bees, just amazing people in the church. And um, Bill said to me one day, they're with the Lord now, so I can use their real names. But Bill said to me one day, um, you know, we're not prayers, we're doers. And I got what he meant. And some of you immediately might get, yeah, I get that. I'm a practical person. And when we say that, though, we, we say that prayer isn't practical and prayer achieves very little and prayer doesn't do much. But we know what people mean if they say, I'm a doer rather than a prayer. And I struggle with prayer. I find that difficult. So over the next little while, the next few weeks, we, we're going to check into maybe some different ways of praying as followers of Jesus and tap in particularly to the, the reflective, contemplative stream of, of prayer and seek to enlarge in our, our spiritual life and language and ability to hear from God and to listen to God. Um, and we're doing a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, or Growing More Like Jesus. I've got some... MJ, have I got anything up there? That's okay because I'm going to be taking you through a few things. A man that's going to come and do a reading in a moment, we're going to look at the life of King Saul and David a little bit and then just unpack that and try and learn some lessons and um, most of you probably are going to be reminded maybe of things you already know. Some of you this might be very basic. For others it might be, oh, this is really helpful. I haven't really thought much about that or looked into that much in my faith. But the premise is that we can't be spiritually healthy if we're emotionally unwell, if we're emotionally blocked up and tangled and shut down and, or over-functioning emotionally, we can't really be spiritually healthy. We can be right with God and God loves us, uh, but to know more of the fullness, that invitation from Jesus, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And you notice he says, I'll, I'll give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll remove the burden, I'll change the circumstance immediately. But he says, I'll give you rest. I'll help you find 
an island of peace and rest in the midst of the burden and the worry and the weariness which may not be resolved so easily. So let's track through a little bit and I'll start by just saying where is God taking us? So let's assume that you're a follower of Jesus, you've become a Christian. What then? I'll go back one more actually because I'm not quite ready. Um, I'll take that one. That's right. Let's read it. Um, We can say God, as Christians, we believe God saves us from things. He saves us from our sins. He saves us from the judgment to come for people who are living in sin and with sin and unrepentant of sin. He saves us from that. He saves us from a life of futility and selfishness and purposelessness. He saves us from things and really important things, but he saves us for things as well. He saves us for life, for wholeness and holiness. He saves us for purpose, for intimacy and life with him, for deeper growing intimacy with others, for love. He saves us for lives of love. And look at what Paul says here in Ephesians, that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, teachers. So leaders and and people called and gifted within the church What? To do all the work? No, to equip people, to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built built up and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What, What is maturity? What does that look like? What does Christian maturity look like? If we don't have a sense of where is God wanting to take us? How is he wanting to shape us and lead us? What does he want to do in my life? We won't have anywhere to go if we don't have a sense of where is God leading us and what does that look like? And then again in Colossians, Paul says, um, he is the one we proclaim, that's Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's not perfection. We don't achieve perfection in this life. We're people who will always be walking towards wholeness and maturity. And then when the kingdom comes, when we are with God, that perfection comes. But there is a goal that God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow spiritually and also to grow emotionally as people, to be able to um, not be so burdened and broken by the things of life, not be so cut off from people, not avoiding our problems or avoiding things, Um, not being immersed in them and overwhelmed by them, but finding health spiritually and emotionally in Christ. So we're going to use a little bit of the material from um, New Life Church in the USA, Pete Scazzaro. He's been um, doing this material for about 20 years. It's a big story. He does podcasts, all sorts of things. He's like the Alpha Course, but for emotional, healthy spirituality. Um, And he says this, the problem, emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. When we ignore the emotional component of our lives, we move through or can move through the motions of Christian disciplines, activities and behaviours, but deeply rooted behavioural patterns from our past continue to hinder us from uh, an authentic life of maturity in Christ. And then he goes on. We often neglect to reflect on what is going on inside us and around us, emotional health, 
and are too busy to slow down to be with God, contemplative spirituality, as a result, we can run the risk of remaining stuck as spiritual infants, failing to develop into spiritually or emotionally mature adults in Christ. So effectively what he's saying is it's great we come to Jesus. It's great we're forgiven. It's great that God saves us and brings us into his family. There's good news, right? The gospel saves us completely. And it's not, you're not incomplete. You know, you're not kind of missing something as a Christian. You have inheritance in Christ. You have all that. But it's like, actually, Jesus wants to walk with us in the details of our lives. You know, I love that God became incarnate. God became flesh. God moved in and sat on the chair next to you. That's what the incarnation is. God moved into the neighbourhood, like, across the road from you where you live to share our lives, to enter into the, the meat of our lives, if you like. He, he knows each of you individually, me. He knows us personally. He knows where we are, what we're going through. And part of this um, invitation to go deeper with, with him in prayer, in, in, in spending time with him in quietness and silence, is to let him meet us in the real situation of our lives and not just to keep rushing through, not just to be doers, but to be doers and prayers uh, who do life with Jesus. So let's have a bit of a look at uh, King Saul. Maybe you're new to the Bible, that's okay. Um, the clue here is that he was a king. Yeah. So you pick that up just from the title, right? Um, king Saul was the first king of Israel. And um, Israel weren't meant to have a king because, as Trent said today, um, we have King Charles technically, but Jesus is our king. Well, for Israel, God was their king. But they said one day, look, we want to be like those other cool pagan nations around us who have a king. He's got like a throne and a you know, a crown and, I don't know, we want one of those, God. And God said, but I'm your king. They said, yeah, but, like, you know, we like you, but we want, like, a real king. And he said, okay, I'll give you a king. And so Saul is the first king of Israel. And, look, let's just put it, let's put it nicely as we can. He was a disaster. <laughs> he was not a good king. Um, it's a big rap, right? Imagine the first of anything. You know, but he didn't do so well. And you look at the life of Saul, it's a life of kind of someone who's unreflective and lacking self-awareness, who doesn't listen to God, keeps running ahead of God and makes a mess. And so in the end, God has to kind of say it's over Saul. So we're going to jump into where God says that it's over for his kingship. So he sends the prophet Samuel. He says to Samuel the Lord, um, I regret... God has regrets, how about that? That I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me, like there's no relationship there now, and hasn't carried out my instructions. He doesn't want to know me and he doesn't listen to me. And Samuel was angry. He was angry about Saul and how bad it's turned out. And he cried out to the Lord all that night. There's a good emotional health strategy right there. Samuel was distressed and angry, so he turns to God. He doesn't go tell like 10 people how distressed and angry he is. He just talks to God first. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul. And Saul had been given instructions in a battle, but he disregarded them. And that's how this incident comes about, and along a whole other list of incidents where Saul didn't obey God. Um, he said, Saul's gone to Carmel, and there he has set up a monument in his own honour. <laughs> 
there's the immaturity right there, right? It's all about me. Um, it's all about me. So Saul disobeys God. He doesn't follow his instructions. Then he sets up a monument in his honour. Uh, what a great job he's done. Oh, well done, Saul. Go you. And he's um, gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel re- reached him, um, Saul said, The Lord bless you, Samuel. He's totally unaware of what's about to happen. He's got no sense of it. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. He's justifying himself, and he hasn't clearly. He's failed badly. Um, And so then, why did you not obey the Lord, says Samuel? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord. What are you talking about? I did nothing wrong. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. (laughs) I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. What are you talking about? I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have, then he realises a bit later, the conversation goes on, I have sinned. He acknowledges it, but it's too late. The damage is done. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And listen to one of the reasons why. I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. I was afraid of what people thought of me. So I didn't do what God wanted me to do. So I was afraid of what people would think. There's emotional immaturity right there, eh? Who's ever done that? Not me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's where we we kind of um, find Saul. And then Samuel says to Saul, this is kind of the, the nail in the coffin of Saul's kingship. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey God is better than sacrifice. And to heed, to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, when you rebel against God, it's like the sin of divination or witchcraft. And arrogance, like the evil of adultery. When you're arrogant, Saul, it's like worshipping another God. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Wow, what a sentence. And you've got to feel for Saul a bit. I mean, there's a sense of it was a tough job being the first king and all that. But the clear thing is here is Saul is someone who runs ahead. He doesn't reflect. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't pay attention to God. He does his own thing. And he keeps getting into trouble. And because he's the king, he keeps getting the nation into trouble. And then what God is saying to him here is, all the activity, all the stuff you do for me, isn't as important to me as this. To obey is better than to sacrifice. You can come and give an offering to God and you know come to worship and sing to God. But unless you listen, unless we listen to him in our lives, that's where we really know him and really meet him. So let's, um, we'll check in with Amanda in a sec. She's going to, I haven't forgotten, all right? Do, do a reading about Saul. But this is about knowing God and knowing myself. Both those things go together. That's kind of undergirding what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks is um, it's not about being introspective and self-absorbed. But unless we understand some of how we act, where we're from, influence of our family of origins. It can impede our relationship with God. Self-awareness is intrinsically related to our relationship with God. In fact, the challenge of Scripture is to shed the old false self in order to live authentically in our new true self. And this strikes at the very core of true Christian spirituality. The vast majority of us can go to our graves without knowing who we are. Without being fully aware of it, we live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectation for us. This does 
the violence, this does violence to ourselves, to our relationship with God, and ultimately to others. So who am I? I mean, this is the Bible's view of who we are. We are complex because we are broken and beautiful. We are sinners, but precious and loved. And so this is what Jeremiah the prophet says. The heart, the human heart, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The question being, I can't, you can't, God can. So knowing God helps us know ourselves and understand ourselves in a way that we can't unless we know God. Then in Colossians, Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart, the heart that can be deceitful, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. There's a sense that our heart can be deceitful. It can mess with our lives. The more we set that on God and continue to become and grow into the person he's calling us to be, the, more we'll be, the less we'll be influenced by deceit. And in Ephesians, Paul says, put off your old self. We still have an old self as Christians, if you like. Um, and put on the new self, the, 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 the image that God has for us, the person God's creating us to be, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So God wants us to become more fully ourselves, but in that, that will mean we're more fully like him. How can you draw close to God, says Augustine, when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Grant that I may know myself, that I may know you. And so, let's get to David. David is different to Saul. He's the second king. And um, I'm not so, I think David's great, but I think he still had some political cunning and he wasn't as innocent as he comes across sometimes in Scripture. Like he played his cards well. He never usurped Saul's authority. He never took over. But nonetheless, he became king. But God anointed him king. And he, he came to fame. Who's heard of Goliath? You know, David and Goliath? Yep. Come on, everyone knows that. He came to fame because he killed the giant. I've been to that valley where that battle took place in Israel. And it's basically near a petrol station in a car park. It's no big deal. But I just wanted to put that out there because it's impressive. Um, he, he has a battle. Um, the, the Israelites are, are fighting the Philistines and they've got this giant warrior, Goliath, and they're all terrified of him. And David eventually comes along. He's not even in the army. Um, but he's like, who's this guy? Who's this bozo threatening the armies of Israel? You know, what are you guys doing? He goes, someone should take this guy down. Um, I'm going to take him down. And so he goes to King Saul and says, hey, I'm your man. I'll do the job. And Saul's like, well, who are you? <laughs> and Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. So for all you young people here, anyone under 70, this is for you. <laughs> Don't let people look down on you if you're young. Um, you're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. He's a powerful warrior. You, who are you, kid? What are you doing? And then David says, he tells him his resume. He's like, I can do this. I've killed a bear with my own bare hands. I've killed a lion. I'm your man. And then look, look at this. Saul dresses David in his own tunic and armour, um, bronze helmet. And eventually David takes it off. He's I can't work with this. It's like a picture of expectations that people put on you. It's like, you need this, you need that. He's like, no, get it off me. 
I need to work with my own things here, right? Get your armor off me. And he goes out, you know the story, he, he kills the giant and um, he's a hero. And that's where Amanda comes in. Do you want to read that? Um, this is the part in where Saul and David start to fall out, more so from Saul. I'll grab some water because I'm thirsty. David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belts. Yeah, Yes. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, I don't know the tune, but Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So you see the tension builds up there between Saul and David. And as I said earlier, David, he's kind of no, he's no saint. I mean, later on we know what happens with David. He loses his way, but he's kind of got a good sense of himself and of God as, as a young man. He's the youngest of eight. He's got seven older brothers, but he knows who he is. And, and they, you know, are rude to him sometimes and, you know, aren't fair to him. He obeys his earthly father, but he's still his own person, makes his decisions. He delegates his shepherding responsibilities. Um, he shows initiative. He seizes an opportunity with Goliath. He's courageous and fearless. He stands up for himself to his older brother who attacks him in the text a bit earlier. He confidently shares his resume with King Saul. He knows what he can do. He knows his skills. He knows his capacities. Um, he has great faith in God and he expresses his emotions in a healthy way. 
That's the Psalms. If you want to see David's emotional life, most of the Psalms, or a good portion of them, are from David. And here's one of them. This is a man who's a warrior, who's wrestled a bear and a lion with his hands and killed them. Um, he's, a, he's a man's man, okay? And if I said to you, are women more emotional than men, what would you say? Put your hand up if you think, no, no, don't do it, because you might get yourself in trouble. Look, let me tell you what I think. No, the Bible doesn't say anywhere. There's, there's no evidence to say women are more emotional than men. I think, if I can just put it out there, this isn't science, so it's just my opinion. It's observation, Mick. I think women are better at expressing emotions. I think they're closer to their emotions and they're able to understand and express them more freely than men. But I think men are just as emotional, if not more sometimes. They can be big babies, come on. Um, <laughs> than women. But David was a man's man, and he's someone who's not afraid of his emotions. Listen to this prayer. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord. Deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping. You mean men can cry? How about that? And drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. David's, he's real. He's able to express what he feels. He's not a crybaby. He's not a whinger. But he's able to connect with what's going on inside of him. He's able to talk about it with God and to all of us now because we have his psalms. Now, let's check. Are you still with me? Are you okay? Check in. Check in with the person next to you and just say, how are you going? <laughs> how are you going? And just a bit of... <laughs> a bit of um, gentle Christian advice. Um, it's okay if someone... If you ask someone how they are and they tell you, it's okay not to give them advice. <laughs> it's okay just to listen. That's a bit of advice right there, but it's okay. It can be so helpful. Like, you don't have to have the answer. You don't have to solve the problem. It's okay just to listen and empathise. That can be so helpful um, emotionally for one another. So let's have a quick look. These are 10, 10 ways of being emotionally unhealthy as Christians, okay? There's 10. There might be more, but let's just go with 10. Using God to run from God. This is particularly dangerous for people like me, pastors. Um, I fill my life with Christian activities, serving the Lord, serving the Lord, but I avoid, I use it to avoid addressing what's really going on in my life. Um, it's just a bit of a smokescreen. I'm using God and serving God, but I'm not really being honest or open with him or with others. Secondly, ignoring the ungodly, inverted, because they're not, emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. I'm rarely honest with myself and or others about the feelings, hurts, and pains beneath the surface of my life. I mean, let's be real, you can't just you know, meet someone at Cole's supermarket and burst out 20 years of pain, I get it. There's a time and a place, but maybe you know, over a coffee with, a, with someone or in a small group or chatting with your pastor or whatever it might be, opening up a little bit and sharing what's under the hood, if you want a mechanic metaphor. Dying to the wrong things. 
Yeah, we've got to die to things as Christians and die to self, but I tend to deny healthy, God-given pleasures in life, such as friendships, joy, music, beauty, laughter, nature. At the same time, I find it difficult to die to my self-protectiveness, defensiveness, lack of vulnerability, and judgmentalism. Fourthly, denying the past's impact on the present. As Christians, we're not bound to the past. We don't have to live in the past. But we need to acknowledge the past impacts us. I rarely consider how my family of origin and significant people events from my past have shaped my present. Number five, I sent these out by email this week too. So if you want to check the email, that if you didn't read it, I'm not offended. Emotionally, I'm okay. Um, but if you do want to read it, it's all there, okay? Um, number five, dividing our lives into secular, like non-God things and God things departments, sacred. I easily compartmentalise God to Christian activities. When I'm at church, I'm a Christian. While I'm at work, I don't know where God is um, kind of thing. While usually forgetting about him when I'm working, shopping, studying or recreating. That's like that prayer we did at the start is something we can do throughout the day. Just pause, take a breath, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm present to you. Wherever you might be, we can begin to learn more you know, automatically to be with God throughout the day. Doing for God instead of being with God. I tend to evaluate my spiritual life based on how much I'm doing for God. As a pastor in Melbourne where I had a lot of young adults in a church where I was at, I used to hear this all the time. You'd sit down with them and talk about how they're going in their faith and they'd say, oh, you know, not so great. You know, I haven't really been reading my Bible and I haven't been praying much. I haven't been to church much. I was like, well, so what? How are you going with God? And the premise behind their answer was, well, when I'm doing God things, that's when I'm close to God. But I'd say, actually, because of Jesus, you're as close to God as you'll ever be. You can't get closer to God. He's made you his son, his daughter. He saved you. You're close to God. You feel closer to God, yeah, when you're reading his word, when you're praying, when you're paying attention to him. But you're not far from God in a biblical sense if you don't feel close to God or if you're not reading the Bible, you're not praying, you're not going to church. That doesn't make you far from God. It makes you less aware of God, but God loves you just as much, even so. But you evaluate your spiritual life on those things rather than, actually, God loves me, whether I'm reading my Bible or not. Spiritualizing away conflict. I usually miss out on true peace by smoothing over disagreements, burying tensions, and avoiding conflict rather than disrupting false peace as Jesus did. Oh, just let it, whatever, let it go, I don't care. I just avoid it. That doesn't help, right? Nor does it help to be aggressive and, you know, always looking for conflict. Number eight, covering over brokenness, weakness and failure. I have a hard time speaking freely about my weaknesses, my failures, my mistakes, What did the first humans do in the garden when they made a mistake? Yep, covered themselves with fig leaves. They hid. They hid. That's human condition 101. That's what we do. But as Christians, it's really beautiful. We don't have to hide because, one, God knows everything about us, and two, he loves us. And so we can come out into the light appropriately um, with him 
because we don't have to feel ashamed anymore. Um, Number nine, we're almost there, living without limits. Those close to me would say that I often try to do it all or bite off more than I can chew. I'm burning the candle at both ends and I'm not being aware that I have limits. God is unlimited and eternal, but you're not. (laughs) I'm not. I don't have eternal emotional, mental, you know, energy or physical strength. None of us do, right? So being aware of our limits. Um, Number 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. I often find myself occupied and bothered by the faults of those around me. Now, I'm sure you don't do that, but some people do, apparently. So let's just, I'm going to wrap it up here. There's a little bit more to, um, to go through, but I'll just do a one thing here on emotions from Dr. Arch Hart, who's a, a Christian psychiatrist, a wonderful man uh, who's written many books. Emotions, he's talking to Christians, must be woven into our spiritual lives in such a way that they produce a harmonious and complementary pattern of wholeness. Our emotions are not in conflict with our spirituality. Emotions themselves are not sinful. They do not have to disturb our spiritual well-being, but can be used to complement it and enhance it. So just to wrap up, we'll flick through a couple there because I had too much. But I've got three or four weeks here, so it's all right, I'm going to come back. Think of Martha and Mary. Classic story in the Bible. Martha's busy doing all the stuff. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, there's a lot you could say about that, but what we'll simply say this morning is that there's two ways of being with God. Serving God and using our gifts and honouring him with, with our lives. Yep. And being with God in a more slowed down, com- contemplative, quieter, prayerful way. And those two things get out of balance. Maybe it's never happened to you. <laughs> Where life gets just crazy and busy and God seems a long way away. So that prayer we did at the beginning is something I'm going to lead us in again at the end, that practice to just stop. And, okay, I know some of you have little kids and you've got busy jobs and all that sort of thing, but just to find a minute, two minutes throughout the day where you can just pause and just check in. How am I feeling? Am I anxious? Am I worried? Am I fearful? Am I all tight and bent? What? Just stop and pause. Take a deep breath. And just surrender to Jesus. We sang that song, I surrender all. Not I surrender some. I surrender Sunday. But the rest of the week I just do what I want like Saul. I surrender all. So Mary and Martha are that picture of the the contemplative and the busy life. The doing for God. So think of your life right now. This is uh, my life most of the time. <laughs> no, this is, uh, well, there's too much activity. Um, not necessarily. But think of like if those two circles were you, if, if that's a balanced life of walking with God and being well with God emotionally and with others, and that's serving God and doing things for God, if that's a balanced life, where's, where do you think you are right now? I'm not going to ask you to say. Is it a bit too much? One way. Do you need a little bit more quietness, silence, space, slowing down with God throughout your day? So here's here's what I want you to do. Um, I've put these little cards. I emailed this as well in the email. It's good to read that email. It's very useful. Remember, I'm emotionally okay if you didn't read it, but silence and stillness guidelines. So it's a little practice just to help you come into a, a place of quiet, silent prayer. 
um, where you can just be more present, grow more present with God who is with us, right? Jesus is alive. He's with us by his spirit. So the instructions are on here. They're at the front door. There's a whole heap of them. And there's an electronic one I sent out as well. So I want you this week, uh, I invite you to just daily, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, just check in with God. Because, you know, prayer is something hopefully we're doing as Christians regularly. But for me, it can often be, I've got a lot of needs. I've got a lot of people we want to pray for. And so it's kind of coming to God with, with those, which is fine, which is okay to bring our petitions, our intercessions to God. But, you know, when Jesus called the disciples in Mark chapter 3, you can read this, I'm not making it up. Um, when he called the first 12, it says he called them to be with him, that he might send them out. What did God want when he created us in the beginning? Did he want us just to be busy and be working all the time? Now that was part of it, right? He gave us a perfect earth and we could till the soil and work. But he came in the garden saying, Adam, where are you? Maybe God throughout the week says, Nick, where are you? Sam, where are you? You guys. <laughs> All of us. God says, where are you? I just want to spend some time with you. I just want to be with you. And just to slow down, to take that breath, to say that simple prayer. One I like to use is, is an old Greek Orthodox one from the second century, really. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, grant me your peace. Just to slow down and do that and become aware of the God who loves you, who wants to be with you, who promises to give you rest, who promises to help you. And that's a beautiful invitation for us all. So let me pray now as, as the team comes up. And I'm going to lead us just in a bit of quietness again. Okay? So you can stay seated, except for the team, sorry. <laughs> You've got to come up. And um, again, just take a deep breath. Be still. And I'll just read a couple of verses. And next week we'll look at understanding the past and overcoming barriers in our spiritual life. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Jesus says to you, he says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. <laughs> Lord, we come to you and we thank you. Uh, we thank you that even though we're complex and even though we're deep, even though sometimes we don't even understand ourselves, we thank you, Lord, that you get us, you understand us. Thank you, Lord, that you know who we are, where we are. You know what life is like for us right now. Lord, we receive your invitation, we hear it, an invitation to check in with you, to walk with you throughout the week, to pause and, and say thank you, to take a deep breath, to just be still before we send all those emails, before we have to cook that dinner, before, wherever it might be, Lord, before we go to bed at night, to just take a few moments to sit quietly 
and hear your invitation. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, help us be spiritually well and emotionally well. Help us balance our lives in you well. Lord, lead us. We need your help. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.